Lonely song, the songs for you. Esoteric teachings tell us that we're born awake into a world of sleeping people. We probably hear this so often that <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're born awake into a world of sleeping people. So what? We're asleep now. Now we're one of the sleeping people. So, so, so what? This doesn't mean we're like a clean piece of paper when we're born, though. Just because we're born awake doesn't mean we're born perfect. It just means we're born awake. So let's say that you have uh, an ingrown nail, okay, and it's painful. And then you go to sleep, and it's not painful because you're asleep. But then you roll over something and you bump it, and it wakes you up because it's painful. And you wake up, and it's like, oh, and it's painful. So it's still there whether you're awake or asleep. And the problem with us is we are what we are whether we're awake or asleep. So if you're born awake, you are what you are. If you go to sleep, you just forget what you are. And if you forgot what you are, it's pretty hard to work on developing it, having it be something else, or unfolding or growing into something else. So we're basically born awake, but we're also born with challenges. Each of us has our own special kind of kinks that we need to work out. For one person, it may be relationships. For another person, it may be health issues. For another person, it may be money. For another person, it may be self-worth. Or it may be some combination of those. It doesn't all have to be one thing. This work tells us that we have, you know, probably five or seven chief features. That is, chief challenges in our personality that we need to deal with. Often they're interconnected. In fact, I'm sure they're always interconnected, whether or not we see the connection. Sometimes it's easier to see the connection than at other times. But these are things that we're born with, that we have to work out. Not all of them. Some of the things we get from the people around us. But why did we get that from someone around us? Why is it that you responded in that way to that person when your sister or your brother responded in an entirely different way, even when they were small children? Because we don't come in as a clean sheet of paper. We come in born with these challenges, with these areas that we need to work on, these kinks that we need to work out, as it were. Because we were awake once long ago, it is possible to remember ourselves, to remember the self that was awake. This task is made difficult by a disease that we've all contracted being born into this world. It's like the operating room or the wherever you were born, maybe you were born in a field somewhere, <laughs> wherever you were born, wasn't completely clean and you got something from that room that you were born into. Now this disease is so pandemic, so gradually contracted by us that we have to be told that we have it and then after we're told that we have it, we have to be told that it can be cured and then we have to be taught how to cure it because it's something that we have to do, something that we have to cure. Even though we contracted it and that wasn't our fault, we have it and if we want to get rid of it, then it's up to us to do that. It may not seem fair, but it is the way it is. And that's one of the things about this planet that we have to accept is it is the way it is. It's not some other way. Since it took us so long to get this disease, it also takes a long time to cure it. And even though we contracted it early on, 
it continues to get worse and worse and worse as we don't deal with it, like many diseases do. Cancer, for example, if you don't catch cancer early on, it can become a huge problem. It'll kill you. The odd thing about our disease is it also protects us for something that's far worse that would prevent the possibility of our transformation from an animal into a human being. So this begs the question, what's the disease? There's so many from which to choose, and perhaps they're all connected. I call the disease a conscience cushion, because esoteric teachings concern themselves with inner man rather than the external man. The conscience cushion is internal, but it presents externally. The only reason we can see that it's there is because it has external symptoms. And if we can start to see the external symptoms, then we can start to acknowledge that we do indeed have the disease. I mean, you need to verify this. What good is it if you take my word for it and you go around saying, oh, I've got this disease, I've got this disease. Well, that may be great down at the social club. Well, I've got this disease. Yeah, well, I've got a better disease than that. Those of you who've attempted proper self-observation know that the current state of darkness of the emotional center is one of the symptoms. You've got this. You know this. You have emotionally a very dark emotional center. In other words, there's just not a lot of light there. So that's a symptom of this conscience cushion. We don't know there's a problem until we're stressed to the point where the problem becomes evident. It's like a stress test. They stress someone's heart to see if they have heart problems. So they'll put them on a treadmill and they'll run them on the treadmill and run them and run them and run them. And that brings the symptom to light. Well, life also brings these symptoms, these telltale signs of the conscience cushion. It brings them to light. Here's the test. Nothing happens until the test starts. Once we're tested, then the weaknesses start to show. It's like, you remember the story that Watchman Nee used to tell about the servant who was just sitting in a chair. And as long as he was idle, he was just fine. He was almost a perfect servant. It was when he was asked to do something. He'd get up, and the first thing he'd do in getting up is he'd knock the lamp over. And then when he went to pick up the lamp, he'd knock a precious vase off the stand over there and break that. And then when he went to pick that up, he'd mess something else up. And so when something was required of him, when he was asked to do something, when he moved out of that chair is when his clumsiness became evident. It's when his problems presented. It's when his particular disease, the symptoms to his particular disease, became evident. And so with us it's the same way. Here's the test. Love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the test. This is the stress test. If we could do this, we would have a different emotional center. If you could love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself, you would have a completely different emotional center than the one you have now, than the dark emotional center you have now. And in a dark emotional center, what you have is dark emotions, and that means negative emotions. You can call them light emotions. You can paint them white. You can do all kinds of things, but it doesn't change them. The only thing that does change them is a light emotional center or an emotional center with more light in it. As we are, practically the only emotions we can have are negative emotions. Now, the strange thing about this is almost no one believes this is true. And it's like being diagnosed with cancer. The first thing you do is deny it and get a second opinion. 
you go for a second opinion. If first thing you do is deny it, and then maybe you go for a second opinion. But the first thing you do is deny it. No, that can't be. How could that be? And then you go for a second opinion, and eventually I'm sure you accept it and you deal with it however you have to deal with it. But almost no one believes that the only emotions they can have are negative emotions. And all that shows us is that we call negative emotions something else. We call them positive. We call them justified. We call them righteous. We call them whatever we call them. We have lots of ways to deal with negative emotions rather than getting rid of them. In this sense, we're all from Missouri. Missouri, you remember, is the show-me state. In this sense, we all have to be shown. And that's why self-observation is so important. That's why we're bringing this up. That's why the stress test is because we need to be shown. It's not enough for someone to say, you've got this disease called conscience cushion. So? And this is what it's doing, and this is what it's like. So? I don't think I have that. I don't think I have a problem with my emotional center. And if it is, it's just a small problem. It's not anything like his problem or her problem. They're really negative. I'm not. The only time I'm negative is when I should be. This is the reason we speak so often of working on the emotional center. In its current state of darkness, we neither love God nor do we love our neighbors. If you think you love God, then the litmus test for that is, fine, do you love your neighbors? Remember what the scribes and the Pharisees said? Well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> it's like, they knew right away. No, I don't love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? I love my friends. Are they my neighbors? But I don't love my enemies because they're not my neighbors. If you insist on protesting this, your self-defensive objections ensure that you'll get to keep the disease and everything that goes with it. What we defend, we get to keep. If you want to defend your dark emotional center, you get to keep it. If you want to defend the fact that you don't love God with all your heart and soul, and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you get to stay that way. It's only by acknowledging that you've got the problem that you can begin to do something about it. To alter the dreadful state of our mechanical and emotional center, we've got to think there's something higher than ourselves. If you've spent any time having a look at yourself according to the things that have been shown to you through esoteric teachings, then you look around and it's pretty clear that we don't think our neighbor is higher. I mean, look at it. If you're going to be honest with yourself, seriously honest with yourself, you look at your neighbor, let's just take your neighbor over there. He's not as good as you. That's what you think. That's what we all think. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's violent. He's this. He's that. All the things that we're not. All the things that we are, but not as bad as that. Isn't that pretty much how we justify our lying and cheating and all the rest of it. Well, not as bad as that. Isn't that how people who are large stay large? Well, I'm not that fat. And isn't that how people who are skinny keep on being skinny? Was well, like, I'm not that skinny. They find someone skinnier or they find somebody fatter. And then they talk about them and they compare themselves to them. This isn't about that. So it's clear we don't think our neighbor is higher. But it's also pretty certain that we don't think God is higher though we're loath to admit it, and we are loath to admit it. This is something that is difficult to accept. Our behavior proves we take ourselves as God while we pretend that we think there's something higher than ourselves. If you look at the test, you have to see. If you open your eyes and look at it, 
objectively. You have to see that you do not think that God is higher than you. You think that you're God. And because that doesn't wash well in our society, we pretend that we don't think we're God. But we act exactly as if we did think we were God. We have requirements of people, and if they don't meet those requirements, then we punish them. There will be punishments. There will be retribution. There will be a day of reckoning. That's how we work it. And all that says is that we think that we're God. All the time pretending that there's really something higher than ourselves. All of this is difficult to see because of the many illusions that we have of ourselves. What are some of those illusions? Well, we can do. We have real eye. We're one. We're never negative. Well, without good reason. We have will. And we never identify. Those are just some of the illusions that we have about ourselves. Only when we begin to break up these illusions can we begin to see there's something higher than ourselves. When this happens, we begin to realize these horrible imperfections that we thought were so excellent. It's a rude awakening when you realize that all of the things that you thought were virtues were really horrible imperfections. It's like calling light dark and dark light. It's being so turned around, so confused, that you think something is excellent that's really horrible, and you think something is horrible that's really excellent. And this comes from this inversion that we're living with, this inversion of seeing ourselves up high when we're really down low. And that is because of these illusions that we have of ourselves. Now this is so harsh, this realization is so harsh, that if it happened all at once, we'd go mad. This is the part of the disease that protects us. It's like an inoculation. An inoculation is they give you the disease. They give you just enough of it so that your body starts to develop an immunity to the disease. So that when the full-blown disease comes along, your body knows how to fight it. So in a sense, we're inoculated. And so we're protected, but not completely protected. It prevents us from seeing our contradictions, what we're like. The inoculation is what prevents us from seeing our contradictions, what we're like, all at once. If we could see them all at once, okay, let's just look at it this way. We have someone this morning who said that they've been seeing that they're repeating a pattern in a relationship that they have seen for years and years and years. And they're repeating the same pattern, they're having the same requirements, they're behaving in the same way toward this person as they behave toward another person, and another person, and another person, and another person. So they've got this line of people. This is called work memory. It's when you see, you've observed yourself in a relationship, and you see that when the relationship goes wrong, it's always because that other person did this, this, or that. No matter who the person is, it's always because that other person did this, this, or that. So they began to see that they have requirements. That it's not the other person, because that's what people do, but that they have requirements. And the requirement is, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Now, the first thing that comes along with this is depression. It's like, I can't do anything, I can't stop this. They try and stop, well, I'm going to stop this. I really like this person, so I'm going to stop this. 
and they can't stop it. And the thoughts just keep coming back and the feelings just keep coming back. And the disease keeps presenting and presenting and presenting and they can't cure it. They can't make it go away. So they get depressed. I've got this terrible disease. I've got this terrible problem and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't want it to be this way. I want it to be some other way. I don't like being the way I am. I want to be like somebody else. I want to be somebody else. Our common disease prevents us from dispelling these self-illusions all at once. It allows us only to see what we can bear. We don't usually believe that. Usually, when we start to see things, we think, I can't bear this. I, can, I cannot take any more. Just stop. Turn the lights out. Move me into the shade for a little while. I want to get out of the light. This is just too much. Do you know this feeling? If you don't know this feeling, I really question whether you're observing yourself properly or not. If you don't know this feeling, if you haven't had this sense of seeing that you're the problem, like in the relationships, when they're all, you're the problem, you're the one that's always there, you're the consistent factor, you are the one that's always there. When you start to see that, it can be, like I said, very depressing. Because it's so depressing, we have this disease that protects us so that we can see only what we can bear in the moment. How else in our world could we carry on as if everything in the world was just fine? I mean, think about it. If you take a good look at this world, it is depressing. How can we possibly carry on as if everything is just fine? It's because of this disease, this conscience cushion. Though difficult to remember, as a child, you could feel the terrible contradictions of the sleeping people around you and the world that they inherited and that they continue to support and now that you continue to support. But think about it. Think back to the first time you realized that the people in your life were not trustworthy, that the people in your life did not have your best interest at heart, that there was injustice, that people said one thing and did another. You were a very small child, and it was horrible. It was shocking. It was terrible. Maybe you can remember, maybe you can't remember. You'll think about it, make it a little task. If it doesn't just pop up for you right away, make it a little task. I remember once I came home from school and a woman a couple doors down, we lived in the city so we were row houses, and a woman a couple doors down yelled at me, came out and yelled at me and slapped me across the face. And I went in to my mother crying, blah, 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 Mrs. So-and-so hit me, slapped me in the face. And my mother didn't believe me. She thought I was lying. The woman later came down and apologized to my mother for slapping me across the face. She found out that it was really someone else who had taken her daughter's doll or done something, and she came out and thought it was me, so she slapped me across the face. See, so I had this memory of like, wow. So I had the injustice of this woman accused me of doing something I didn't do, punished me for it, and then when I went and told the authorities, the person who was supposed to stand up for me, they didn't believe me. So it was like this double whammy. And I realized, you know, people are flawed. They don't really know and they don't really care. And if they do, it's too little too late. The discomfort of such feelings are anesthetized by the formation of buffers. Gurdjieff said, buffers are things that ease the collision of contradictions. My mother loves me, but she doesn't believe me. My mother loves me, but she calls me a liar. 
My father loves me, but he disciplines me. My father loves me, but he disciplines me for something my brother did. Like that. Contradictions. A little child has real conscience. That's what it means to be born awake. It means that you have real conscience. And gradually, a little child acquires a social conscience through contact with sleeping people around it. The contradictions, the injustices, all cause the development of buffers or a conscience cushion. And that's really what this disease is. This disease is the disease of buffers. Buffers gradually grow in us and they take the place of real conscience. Real conscience is slowly submerged and buried because it's just too painful. It's just too insane for a little child. So the only way that they have to protect themselves, because there's nothing they can do about it, is to bury real conscience, to develop this conscience cushion, so that they don't have to deal with this collision of contradictions, not only in the world, but then they start to see them in themselves. If they didn't, they'd go mad with the state of the world about us. If we didn't bury real conscience, we would go insane looking at this world. Regardless of your station in life, you have the disease of buffers, the conscience cushion. With the conscience cushion in place, we will not face the truth. We will always lie. We will not, we cannot develop. As long as you are lying and not facing the truth, you cannot develop. It's impossible. The only way to develop is to face the truth about yourself and to stop lying about yourself. We can't love God and our neighbor without real conscience. cannot be done. Now, we have real conscience. This is the good news. But the conscience cushion stands between us and real conscience. We've got to bring it to the surface somehow. We've got to dig it up. We've got to pull it up. Morris Nichols said, The memory of observing I is quite different from the memories of little eyes that pop up at every moment. The little eyes that pop up at every moment are very myopic, very short-sighted. They have no vista. They have no view. They have no big view of things. They see everything in tiny little ways. Observing eye eventually makes it possible for you to remember what the other eyes said that are lower down in the scale of your machine. You start to see with observing eye that these little eyes have always been there in every relationship. They've always said the same thing. Well, you owe me this. Well, I did this for you and you should do that for me. Well, how, are you, how come you're treating me this way? Well, why aren't you doing this? Well, why do you always do that? Take a simple example. She always leaves the cap off the toothpaste. Or, why do you have to squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube? Can't you squeeze it from the end and then roll it up? Why don't you put your dishes away after you wash them? Why... Don't you put things back, those things, all those little, these are little eyes that are always talking. They pop up at any moment and they just start blah, 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 blah. Observing eye makes it possible for you to remember what these other lower little eyes are saying, these little eyes that are down in the scale of your machine. And from this is built work memory. And we begin to recognize our contradictions. Now as you begin to see them, you'll be freed from them by being cured of the disease of conscience cushion buffers. Once higher centers see that you're seriously trying to work on yourself, 
they'll begin to give you traces of real conscience. It's not going to be fun. It's not pain-free. When you start to see your contradictions, it can really be depressing. It can really be depressing. As our buffers get a little weaker, we lose confidence in the illusions that we have of ourselves. We have so many illusions of ourselves. Well, let's take the one with relationships. You owe me. I did this, you owe me. You should do this, you should do that. Well, you're my wife, you should. Wives are supposed to. Well, you're my husband, husband are supposed to. Well, you're my child, children are supposed to. Well, you're my mother, mothers are supposed to. You're my father, fathers are supposed to. You're my boss, bosses are supposed to. You're my employee, employees are supposed to. All of these requirements, all of these eyes that are low down in the scale of your machine, these little eyes, have their little speeches that they give every time in every situation. They're always there. Observing eye helps you to catalog them. Observing eye helps you to remember them, to see them. When you can remember them and you can see them, your problems begin. Because you start to own your problems. You stop putting them out there on all those other people and you start to own them. Then your contradictions start to come up. As observing eye gives you traces of real conscience, your contradictions not other people's, your contradictions become more important. It's a painful process, but through that process we begin to lose confidence in the illusions that we have of ourselves. We stop thinking that we're so wonderful. We stop thinking that we're one. We stop thinking that we can do. We're faced with, I keep doing the same things, I keep saying the same things, and it just repeats over and over again. We find that we're not one, that there are many different little eyes in us that are all running their mouths, one after another. We find that we have no real will. I will to do something, but then I don't do it. So we begin to lose confidence. Perhaps then it will be possible for us to love God and our neighbor as ourself. How? Well, what it does is it puts you down lower than your neighbor, lower than God. And once you see that there is something higher than you, truly see not just acquiesce. Oh yes, there's something higher. Once you truly begin to see, once your illusions about yourself start to be removed and you truly begin to see there is indeed something higher than you, then the possibility to love that and to love your neighbor as yourself becomes available to you. This is the path of self-development. This is the path we walk toward conscious love. Love God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You light up an instant matter What's part of a cosmic